be praying for me. I'm going to be attempting for the next several months to do a, uh, a task that's uh, close to impossible. I'm going to attempt to preach through a chapter of Hebrew each week, and to get through a chapter in Hebrew is quite the undertaking. And so we are going to start a new series today uh, going through the book of Hebrews entitled, The Best is Yet to Come. The best is yet to come. Today we're going to be looking at this title in Hebrews chapter 1, God Revealed Through the Son. God Revealed Through the Son. And I'm glad that God has revealed himself through his Son, Jesus Christ, who is the author of our salvation. And we owe a debt to him which will never be able to be repaid, yet we are saved by his good grace, his mercies, and we are uh, thankful for all that Christ has done and who he is. This morning, again, as I mentioned, I want to be, preach on the title of God Revealed Through the Son. In Hebrews chapter 1, our text this morning, we will begin reading in verse number 1. I want to read the first four verses, and this is where we'll take our thought from. Hebrews chapter 1, verse number 1. If you're able this morning, stand with us for a moment as we read God's holy word. Hebrews chapter 1, verse number 1. The Bible says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, to whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory, and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had him or by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. In verse number two, it says, he has in these last days spoken to us by his son. God has revealed himself through the son and spoken to us by his son, Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do ask God that for these next few moments, Lord, that your Holy Spirit might speak through uh, Lord, your messenger and through your word. God, may you give us what we stand in need of. Lord, you know the needs of each of our hearts, Lord, both, Lord, sin that needs to be revealed, Lord, of discouragement, Lord, that needs encouragement, Lord, whatever we might need, you know all things. And God, we ask that you might have your will and way done today, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Hebrews chapter 1 here, and verse, really verse number 1 through 4 is in the Greek, this is one sentence and one thought. And it begins by saying that in the last days, God has spoken to us by his son. We are living in the last days, and we have been since Christ was revealed, Jesus Christ. So we realize that in the last days, God has spoken to us 
by his son, Jesus Christ. I want to look at three areas or three aspects by which Jesus Christ was revealed to us or how God was revealed to us rather through Jesus Christ. The first is we see that Jesus was exposed or is exposed. In verse number three, the Bible tells us, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. I want to look at this first thought here, the brightness of God's glory. Jesus exposed the brightness of God's glory. We find that Jesus did expose or reveal uh, to make known to us himself, but also Jesus Christ revealed to us that through him we might know God on a more personal, deep level. We know God through Jesus Christ. Jesus revealed who the brightness of God's glory. The word brightness literally means a radiance or reflection. It means that Jesus Christ was the radiance or the reflection of God's glory. That's what this word brightness means. It brings to mind John chapter 14 and verse number 9, where Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father, so how can you say, show me the Father? Jesus was saying, listen, if you've seen me, you've already seen the Father, because I am the brightness, the radiance, the reflection of God and who he is. Now, you and I are to be reflections of Jesus Christ, and when the world looks at us, they are to see Jesus Christ through our life. Yet our lives are not perfect, and we are not a perfect reflection of who he is. Yet Jesus Christ was the perfect reflection. We could see a perfect image of, Jesus, of God through Jesus Christ. And always he was like the Father. Jesus was a perfect re reflection of the Father's glory, of his honor, of his praise, and of his dignity. And always when we saw Jesus Christ, we see God the Father himself. And he said that he was the brightness of God's glory. Not only do we see that Jesus exposed the brightness of God's glory, but second of all, we see here that he was the image of God. He says, and the express image of his person. The brightness of God's glory really reflected and revealed to us the characteristics of God and his nature. And yet the image of God shows us exactly who he is. In Colossians chapter 1 and verse number 15, the Bible says that he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Jesus Christ was the image of God himself. He is not only an image of his characteristics, but also of the very person, the nature, the being of God the Father. For Jesus Christ was God himself, God in the flesh. We believe in a triune Godhead. We believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The three three Godheads, and yet there is one God. Not just three different representations of the same God, but three distinct individuals that make up a singular God, Godhead. And so we find that Jesus was the brightness of God's glory, but also he was the image of God, the Father himself. Now we find that Jesus exposed the brightness of God's glory and the image of God, but also we see that he revealed that it is he who holds the entire of the universe. The Bible says he is the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, watch this, 
and upholding all things by the power of, uh, by the word of his power. He holds the whole world in his hands, and we understand that. In Colossians chapter 1 and verse number 17, the Bible says, And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. Jesus Christ, God the Father, we know that they hold all things, the Bible says, and all things consist. He is the creator and the father and the upholder of everything. He is it. The universe, the worlds as we know, and as we'll see later, the end of the universe as we know it, and all things, they start and begin and end with Jesus Christ and God the Father. In John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, the Bible says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, all things were made by or through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. He was the beginning, the creator of all things, and he holds all things, the Bible says. He upholds them by the word of his power. This is Jesus exp exposing or expressing to us who the Father is. So we find the Bible says that God has spoken to us by his Son, or God has revealed himself to us through Jesus Christ. We see the brightness of God's glory, the image, and we see the power that he holds all things. Second of all, we see that Jesus himself is exalted here in this passage of scripture of Hebrews chapter 1. In Hebrews chapter 1, we find beginning in verse number 5 that Jesus is exalted. And as we look through the next several verses here, what you'll notice is that almost each of these verses are really direct quotes from the Old Testament. And here we find that even from the Old Testament that Jesus Christ was exalted. First, we see in verse number 5, it says, For to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. In Psalms chapter 2, verse number 7, the Bible says, I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. He is quoting here the Old Testament of Psalms. But we find that Jesus is the begotten Son of God. This is very important that we understand that Jesus is the begotten, the only begotten Son of God. That is, we are sons and daughters of God. We are His children. We are bought by a price. We have been adopted. But Jesus was His only begotten Son. He is above all others. And the Bible even says, For which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you? Christ was exalted. He was exalted because he was the very son of God himself. Then he, we see that also he was exalted for his perfection. It says, And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. In 2 Samuel chapter 7 this morning, verse number 14, and bear with me just a moment. I'm going somewhere, I promise. In 2 Samuel 7, 14, the Bible says, I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men. We find that to those who come to Christ, who place their faith, faith in him, he says that we will be as children to him. He says, but if we commit iniquity, 
will be chastened of the Father. Yet Jesus Christ is the only one who has lived a life on earth as you and I, who did so without sin. Christ did what no other child could ever do. He lived in sinless perfection. He was exalted for his perfection, and because he was perfect, he remained able and willing and capable of dying for our sins because he was the perfect, sinless Son of God. That's something you or I cannot say. Sometimes we like to compare ourselves to others and think that we're a pretty good person. But when we compare ourselves to the sinless perfection of God the Father, we understand when he says our righteousness, the very best we have to offer, is as filthy rags. Because we are nothing compared to his sinless perfection. He is exalted because of that. He says, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Verse number 6, thirdly we see here that he is exalted above the angels. He is exalted above the angels. Verse number 6 says, but when he again brings the firstborn in the world, he says, let the angels of God worship him psalms 104 verse 4 says who makes his angel spirits his ministers a flame of fire we find that the angels are ministers here to the saints we find that there is a purpose that god has given them but they are below jesus christ he is exalted far above them i only mention this because I don't know if it's much of a big deal so much now, but I remember especially back in the 90s when we had TV shows such as Touched by an Angel and Angels were popular and there's nothing wrong with angels, but a lot of people began to elevate angels to a place where they almost worship them. But my worship is for no angel. My worship is for Jesus Christ. He's above the angels. He was what they never are or never can be or never will be. He is above them because he is exalted, the Bible says, above them. Then thirdly, this morning, and we see here that his kingship is eternally established. Jesus Christ is the king of all things. We'll find here in just a moment that he is priest, the high priest of all, after the order of Melchizedek. He is the, king, he is the priestly king, one that can both rule and pass judgment and also offer sacrifice because he offered himself. I won't go into that this morning, but we find that only the high priest could enter into the Holy of Holies and and place the blood upon the, the Ark of the Covenant. It was a, not just anyone could do that. I believe that is why Jesus said, no man takes my life. I give it because no one else could. He was the only high priest could offer the sacrifice, and so he offered himself. His kingship is eternally established. In verse number 8, the Bible says, but to the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. 
So we find that he is established eternally upon a throne, that he is the king of all things. Here he says, a scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. We see here that his kingship is eternally established because of his scepter of righteousness. In Psalms 45, verse 6, the Bible says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is a scepter of your kingdom. We find again that it's a direct quote from Psalms. A scepter, what is a scepter? And we think of, we think of a, a, a staff that a king would hold that was decorated, ornamental, with often plated with gold or precious stones and decorative. But really, a, a scepter is a staff. That's what it is. It's a staff. It reminds me of Psalms chapter 23, verse number 4, where the Bible says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff. They comfort me. This is the same instrument, the staff and the scepter. They comfort me. The Bible says, what was the comfort? It was a scepter of righteousness. The staff that comforted David was the scepter, the staff of God's righteousness. Righteousness is a state of moral superiority and perfection. And that's why the Bible says our righteousness is as filthy rags because we do not have moral superiority or perfection. Surely the righteousness of God should bring comfort to you and I, to the hearts of those who have seen and experienced the deceit and the wickedness of this world, who have seen the corruption and vile things that can transpire. Maybe you have been a recipient of the evils of this world or firsthand you have witnessed or, or, or watched it. We would find then that as we have seen what wickedness can do, when we turn our eyes and gaze upon the moral perfection the righteousness of God it should be a comfort to us that he is our God we find joy in knowing that the staff that comforts us is that God is perfect and holy and righteous See, as Christians and as believers, as humans, often we try to place upon God the characteristics that we ourselves have. We try to impose upon God the moral understanding that we have, the forgiveness, the patience, the long-suffering that we have, and we tend to approach God that He's as we are, but He is not as you or I are. He is far above it. He is morally superior and perfect in all things. And I have comfort in knowing that he's far greater than I am. When I would mess up and when I would falter and fail, he will not. When I would fail to forgive others or to move beyond past hurts and pains and sufferings, and when I would not forgive others but hold them, uh, uh, hold the past over their head, God does not do that to me. He's righteous and holy. We thank the Lord that his scepter is a scepter of righteousness. Verse number 9 says, You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. That lawlessness literally is sin or evil. 
Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. His kingship is eternally established because of the scepter of righteousness, but also because he was anointed with gladness. The anointing was performed in the Old Testament, typically by a priest, and was used to illustrate the blessing of God upon the appointment of an individual, namely those of kings and priests. When a king was to be anointed, such as David, we find that uh, he would be anointed with oil and set aside, saying, it literally was saying, listen, God has placed his blessing upon you. You have been dedicated, and God is with you in your task such as David was anointed to be king. Also, it was done for the priest. Before the priest could come in and enter into their priestly duties, they would have to be anointed by another priest, that they were set apart by God to do the work of the ministry. And so here we find that Jesus Christ himself has been anointed with the oil of gladness. Who was anointed in the Old Testament? Kings and priests. How fitting that Jesus Christ was anointed because he is, the Bible says, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. And he is our high priest who offered himself a ransom for many. Anointed with gladness. Exodus 29, 7 says, And you shall be the, uh, take the anointing oil and pour it on his head and anoint him. This is again dealing with priests. Luke chapter 2, verse number 10, we find that Jesus was said to bring joy to all people. Then the angel said to him, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Jesus was anointed with gladness that would bring joy. He, he, he was joy himself because he pleased the Father because he was perfect, but also through him we have joy and gladness when we rest in him. Thirdly, we see that he has an eternal throne, his eternal kingship, because his throne is a throne of power. According to verses 10 and 12, we find that his power is above all things. It says, your Lord, in the beginning lay the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will grow old like a garment, like a cloak, you will fold them up. They will be changed. But this is of Christ, it says, but you are the same, and your years will not fail. Years fail us, do they not? Time comes and our bodies break down. We had a discussion before church with uh, individuals who are facing health issues and time eventually gets all of us. But with Christ, his years will not fail. And in him we can experience eternal life. Even the universe itself will be folded like a cloth, the Bible says, and changed. Yet his power is over life that changes not. 
Verse number 13, the Bible says, But to which the angels did he ever say, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. A throne of power. Often we attempt to fight battles for ourselves, and I'm guilty of that. Sometimes I want to go on my own defense. Yet we find that when we do that, there is no end to the fight. You ever want to defend yourself? It's it's a never-ending job. Once you begin to defend yourself, you have to continue to defend yourself. And if you've ever done it, it just gets tiring, does it not? It just wears you down. Yet the Bible says to Christ, he makes his enemies his footstool. Complete power and domination. He does not have to struggle with defending himself. There is no fight. We struggle. Hate. Fills our heart with bitterness. Yet things never change. So on the phone last night with a gentleman... Um, not from here. If I, I was his pastor um, before, and he had served some time in in prison, incarcerated, and he began to tell me last night about some of the hatred he had from things that had happened to him. He said, "Pastor, he said I'm just tired of hatred." He said, "I need victory over it." That only comes through Jesus Christ. Because he has the power of all things. This means that when we trust in him, when we let him fight our battles for him, his victory is final, it's eternal, and we can sit back and rest in his victory. I want to add, in closing... Three areas of application, how we can apply this to our lives. We're joint heirs with Christ. Verse number 14 says, Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister? This is the angels. For those who will inherit salvation, that means to take possession of. The angels, the Bible says, are ministering spirits to help those who will inherit salvation. That is Christ's salvation. The Bible says we are joint heirs with him. Romans 8, 17 says, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs of Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Three areas I believe we can apply this is first, we should pursue righteousness. We find that Christ... um, has a scepter of righteousness, and this is something that we should pursue. Proverbs 15, verse 9, the Bible says, The way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but he loves him who follows or pursues righteousness. Holiness is being set apart or consecrated 
And holiness is what allows us to pursue righteousness. Although we will never be completely righteous in this flesh, we are living under God's righteousness, there will come a day when sin has been removed and where we will forever have the righteousness of God upon us. But we should pursue righteousness. The Bible says that God loves those who follows or pursues righteousness. And as individuals, as believers, as children of God, it is we are saved. We thank the Lord that we have salvation and security in our salvation. I have assurance that I'm saved because of the grace of God. Yet that is not an excuse for me to live however I want. But the Bible says that God loves those who follow or pursue after righteousness. Are we pursuing righteousness? Are we pursuing a life that brings honor and glory to God? Second of all, we should experience his gladness. Psalm 68 verse 3 says, But let the righteous be glad, let them rejoice before God, yet let let them rejoice exceedingly. In Luke, we said that he'd bring joy to all people. He was the good news. We should experience his joy. If anybody is going to have joy, it should be the children of God. We have something to be excited about, not just something temporary, but something eternal. We have something to rejoice about, and that is Jesus Christ. And then thirdly, we should rest in his power. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 and 29 says, Come to me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. You see, Christ is the eternal king of kings. He'll never be dethroned. He reigns upon all. And if we know anything, we can tell over the last decades in history that even in America, we don't have a king. We just have a president who does not have near the influence a king does. Yet even in America, society is greatly impacted by who sits in the White House. And if Christ is the king of all things, and he's the king of our hearts, then who he is should impact and be reflected in our lives. So because he is righteous, we should pursue righteousness. Because he is glad and joyous, we should be glad and joyous. Because he is powerful, we should find rest and comfort in his power. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. Have you been living with joy and gladness in your heart? Have you been fighting battles that you cannot win? Maybe you're here this morning. And you've been struggling, 
trying to fight something that you can't make any progress in. You're, you're trying to wage a war of defense of yourself and you're making no headway. Why not come? Lay your burden at Jesus' feet. Say, Lord, my life is yours. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. God, reveal to us through Jesus Christ. And when we find that assurance and grace in Him, we'll find that the best is yet to come. Every head bowed and every eye closed, no one looking around. If you would, stand with me this morning. If you're able. Today, I want to ask, is there one here who would say, Pastor, I'll be honest with you, if I died right now, I don't know that I would go to heaven. I've never placed my faith in Jesus Christ. I just don't know. Would you slip your hand up right now and back down and say, Pastor, pray for me. I, I want to go to heaven, but I'm just not sure. Would you slip your hand up? I wonder this morning, who's here? Who would say, Pastor, I've been fighting this war. I've been carrying this burden. Pastor, that, what, what you're preaching about having Christ take care of my battles for me. That sounds wonderful. Preacher, I sure would love to experience that. This morning, would you come? Would you lay your burden on the altar and ask Christ to bring victory in your life? As we begin to sing this morning, if God has spoke to your heart, would you come and do business with God?